Last week, we talked about the establishment of the home and how before God brings men and women together in holy matrimony, the first thing God wants to do is make sure that each of those individuals know him personally for themselves. That was what we studied last week. Now, today we are touching on a very, very solemn subject, biblical principles for marriage. What was the prerequisite? What was it that God set up for humanity when it came to this wonderful institution called marriage? There were only two holy institutions that were made in the beginning of time before sin, the Sabbath and marriage. They were both made before sin. And they are holy twins. And there are some lessons that God wants us to learn as we study today. So I've been preparing my heart all week for this. And I'm going to go ahead and offer a word of prayer at this time. And I'm going to kneel to pray. And I would like to invite you as much as you are able to, to kneel with me. If you cannot kneel, just bow your head reverently where you are. But if you can kneel, let's kneel together. And let's ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to receive the word at this time. Our Father in heaven, we are very grateful for you blessing us all to make it safely through another week. We thank you, Lord, for these opportunities that we can hear heaven speak while we on the earth remain silent before you. And Lord, we bow at this time recognizing your greatness and we humble ourselves in your sight. And I start with myself. I pray that you'll please forgive us of our sins and that you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that you'll grant us the Holy Spirit who is the only effectual teacher of truth. Take these words and make it plain to our hearts. Give to us what we need most at this time. And may marriages that are represented in this room and those who are preparing or one day hoping to be fitted for marriage, may we all receive heaven's instruction today. And I pray, Father, that as you bless others, I'm asking in a very special way, please do not pass me by. I am asking for a special endowment of your spirit, not only to enable me to speak your words, but to receive it in my heart for my home's sake. And I ask all these mercies in Jesus' name, let everyone say, amen. Now, as we prepare to get into this study, I'm going to ask us to take our Bibles. I hope you have your swords in hand. And if you want a double blessing, take notes, because there's going to be scriptures on the screen. There's going to be things referenced, and, and the best way to get the blessing is to take notes or, like we have modern technology, take pictures of the slides, do whatever you have to do. And this is recorded, and it will be on our channel, our YouTube channel as well, if you want to review it. But uh, please make sure that you're taking note. Now, I want us to go to John chapter 3 before we dive into this study, because there's some things that God wants us to understand. We're going to John. We're going to the third chapter. And I want us to see what the Bible says here, because I know what could take place in our study today. And by the grace of God, I don't want it to take place. So let's take a look at this. John chapter three. In John three, I want you to see what the Bible says in verse 19. In John three and verse 19, let's notice what the Bible says. And when you get there, just let me know by saying amen. All right. In John three and verse 19, the Bible says, and this is, I'm reading from the King James. It says, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now, why is it that I'm giving you this verse before we even go into the study? Because there are things that I'm going to be sharing 
that some of it is going to be potentially what we would call strong meat. It's going to be some things that's going to be maybe a hard saying. And I want you to understand from the beginning of the message, when God presents his words and sometimes his word, which is a sword, can cut, it might cut at some area in our own life. There's sometimes we might discover things about ourselves because we're going to talk about husbands and wives today. And we're going to talk about it from the word of God. I'm only 49 years young, but I sit under the ancient of days. And so what I'm doing is I'm not teaching my 49 years of experience. I'm teaching the experience of the ancient of days of what he put in his word. And so these, this, this is the oldest counsel that can be given on the subject of marriage. But when speaking on this subject and identifying God's plan of understanding what he intended when he established something called marriage, husbands and wives, we might find ourselves being convicted. We might find ourselves possibly feeling condemned. But I want you to remember what we read in John 3. Condemnation does not come to us just because we discovered something that we're doing either right or wrong. That's not how condemnation comes. The way condemnation comes, according to the verse, is when even if we're doing the wrong thing, but if that light comes to us and we say, ah, I see the light. I never knew this light. But by the grace of God, I will walk in this light as Christ is in the light. If that's our attitude towards what we'll probably call new light, there is no condemnation for you. So even if we're studying today and we realize, wow, I may have been doing some things wrong. Maybe there's some areas that I have neglected. The purpose of the message is not to condemn. The purpose of the message is to educate. I believe that God has given me a ministry of education, not a ministry of condemnation. Are you following that? And guess what? That's the same ministry he gave to you, too. He did not give us a ministry of condemnation. He gave us a ministry of education. So if we discover something through the study that we can honestly say, wow, when I compare myself to the word of God, I see that I may have been doing something wrong. That's OK. We're all growing. We're all learning. And you are not condemned. The only time condemnation comes is when we clearly see the light. We understand the light and we say, I hate that light. I reject that light. I will not follow that light. Now, that is when condemnation can come. That's dangerous ground. But you're not condemned just because we discovered something. Now, with this understanding, we're talking about biblical principles of marriage. Biblical principles of marriage. When we're talking about biblical principles of marriage, we need to let the Bible speak. You see, Christians, for Christians... We do nothing more, we do nothing less than follow our pattern man. That man's name is Jesus. Christian, by the very definition of the word, means follower of Jesus Christ. That's what a Christian is. Now, with that, we learn something about Jesus. Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 5. Turn there with me. Following Christ, let us remember what the Bible says in John chapter 5. In John, the fifth chapter, we're now looking at the 30th verse, and we're just seeking to follow what Jesus says. Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 5. Remember, being a Christian is a follower of Christ. Now, in John 5 and verse 30, this was the attitude of Jesus. So evidently, this should be the attitude of every Christian. 
The Bible says in John 5 and verse 30, Jesus said, I can of mine own self do how many things? Do nothing. He says, as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. So Jesus made it very clear. As I walked on this earth and everything that I did, I never did anything just because I wanted to. I don't do anything of myself. He says, as I hear, then I act. So Jesus, watch this, lived by every word that came from his father's mouth. Are you following that? That's how Jesus lived. That's why we should not wonder when Jesus says man, talking about Christians, followers of him. He says man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So when we look at marriage, what we're not going to do is take mother and father, uncle and aunt, grandmother and grandfather's concepts and let that shape how we understand marriage. What we're going to do is we're going to let the word of God shape how we should understand marriage. Now, there are many of you who are single, but I can almost guarantee you probably 99% of the single people in this room hope to one day be married. It's very rare you can find single people that want to be like Paul. They want Paul's power, but not his lifestyle. Right? They don't want to be single for it. No, no, no. I don't want to be single. I, mm -mm, I got to have a wife. I have to have a husband. Right? So even if you're single, don't you dare think this message is not for you. In fact, this message is more for you. Because for those of us who are married, two words. Too late. <laughs> if you're married, happy or sad, too late. Make the best of it. And I mean it. If you're married, too late. Divorce shouldn't even exist in your vocabulary unless your partner commits adultery. That's the only time divorce comes up in your vocabulary. Outside of that, you are with that person till he or she dies. And so as a result of that, make the best of it. But for those of you who are single, this is your chance. So you need to pay attention, pay close attention, all right? Now, I'm thankful, you know, I am 24 years in the school of marriage, and I am enjoying my true education. And so I am thankful. I'm not here to give a doom look on marriage. Marriage is wonderful. Marriage is beautiful. Trials and all, it helps us grow. So I am very thankful for my bride from my side. But I also want to make it very clear that you will never understand the word sacrifice and selflessness like when you get into a marriage. It is so not about you. And so this is what God wants all of us to understand. Now, when we deal with the purpose of marriage, when we, when we talk about it, right, there are some things because God is the creator of marriage. That's why he should be involved in every marriage covenant. I am in disagreement with people running to a court before running to God. Because God is the creator of marriage. And therefore, he should be involved in every marriage. But I want you to watch this. What was his purpose? What was the reason that God created marriage? Let's go ahead and walk through the text. So number one, when we look at what the Bible says about the reason, let's take a look at this. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah 54, 5 and 6, watch the text carefully. It says, for thy maker is thine what? Husband. The creator is the husband. Now watch. Thy maker is the husband, and his name is the Lord. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. Now, the creator, God, is considered to be the 
husband. Then it says in the next verse, verse six, for the Lord hath called thee, that's God's people, as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth. When thou wast refused, saith thy God. So God actually says, I liken myself to a husband. And God says to his people, you are likened unto my wife. All right. Now, let's continue with this thought because we have more. Now, when you go to Second Corinthians 11 and verse two, now we have a witness in the New Testament. In Second Corinthians 11 and verse two, it says, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. That's Paul talking. But now look at what Paul says. For I have espoused or joined you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So once again, Jesus is in the position of husband. The church is in the position of wife. Now let's go to the next one. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So again, we see husbands being likened to Christ and we see wives being likened to the church. Then it says in verses 31 to 33, in Ephesians 5, it's very powerful because there's a lot of counsel on husband-wife relationship. From verse 22 all the way to the end, it's, a, it's all talking about husband-wife relationship. So Paul summarizes all of this in verses 31 to 33 of Ephesians 5 by saying, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And then Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I'm really, in other words, he's talking all this marriage talk. But in the end, Paul says, but really what I'm doing is I'm actually talking about what? Christ and the church. Christ and the church. There's a little book that has circulated throughout our world. This little book is a book. Sometimes people love to give it out more than read it. <laughs> that should not be. That book is called Steps to Christ. And in this precious little book, Steps to Christ, that has been circulated throughout the world by the millions and has helped many people come to know Jesus. There's a statement in that book right on page 10 that says God has bound our hearts to him by unnumbered tokens in heaven and in earth through the things of nature and the deepest and tenderest earthly ties that human hearts can know. He has sought to do what? reveal himself to us. You know, the deepest and tenderest earthly tie that humans' hearts can know, that's marriage and that's the family. And so when somebody says, what is the purpose of marriage? Why did God create marriage? What was it for? What is the purpose? The summary of all of this is that the purpose of the marriage relation is that the husband and the wife will learn to know God and his relation to his people as they could know in no other way. That's the purpose of marriage. Is that your purpose when you got married? For those of you who are preparing for marriage, is that your purpose of why you're preparing for marriage? The purpose of the marriage relation is so that the husband and the wife can learn to know God and his relation to his people. Like in no other way we could learn this lesson. That means that in the home, that you see, my goal in life as a husband 
My goal in life is that my wife will come to know Jesus as she has never had an opportunity to know him as a result of the example I leave before her. My wife, her mission is to help me to know and understand God and his relation to the church like no other way that I could possibly learn this lesson. And that is the great purpose of marriage. Any other purpose is a perversion. Now, it is understanding this wonderful point, this very solemn point, that through my marriage, I am called to reflect Christ. You know, sometimes at home we are comfortable being our most sinful selves. But brothers and sisters, that ought not be. It is at the home. Sometimes at home we are laid back selves and at outside the home is when we put on our holy faces. Right out out the home. We're like, hello, how are you? God bless you, my friend. And, you know, we kind of do that stuff. We do that outside the home. But when we're in the home, we uh, we kind of unzip ourselves and we we let the real character come out, not understanding that whatever comes out of my mouth and whatever I demonstrate in my character is going to affect my wife. It's going to lead her closer to Jesus or it's going to push her further away. If my wife understood the same, that whatever I say or whatever I do in my home is going to either help draw my husband closer to Jesus or it's going to help push him further away. If we maintained this attitude, understanding I'm not supposed to give the best of myself to outside my home and give the worst of myself to inside the home. That is out of gospel order. God says you're supposed to give the best of yourself in your home. As well as outside of your home. Because husbands. Your wife is your first mission field. Wives, your husband is your first mission field. When you bring children into the world, parents, your first mission is your children. And I cannot wait till we get to the subject of dealing with children in parenthood. But brothers and sisters, this is the great purpose of marriage, that we might know God and understand his relation to the church. Now, with that, God had to give roles. And oh my, welcome to the spiritual Delta, United Airlines, American, or whatever airline is your favorite. And I would like to recommend that what we're about to go through in this phase of our study is some serious turbulence. And therefore, I would like to recommend that you spiritually buckle up. Now about to move from appetizer and get into some meat. When God established the roles, my brothers and sisters, the devil always loves to interfere when God's message is going forward. And I assure you, he's not happy about this one. All right. Now, what I want us to do next is I want us to turn to these verses. Let's go to Genesis chapter one, because now that we understand the great purpose of marriage, God created marriage for the great purpose of revealing himself to us and his relation to the church. This is the purpose of marriage. This is what's to be reflected in marriage. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Let's go ahead and look at verse 28. And I want us to see something that's very, very clear in Scripture. And uh, let us be prayerful as we study the Word of God. In Genesis 1 and verse 28 now, let's go ahead and look at what the Bible says. 
After God made man in his own image and after his own likeness, and eventually he would make a woman in the same manner, the Bible says this, and I want you to watch the words carefully in Genesis 1.28. It says, and God blessed, what's the next word? Them. So is that singular or is that plural? Obviously that's plural. So it's not just talking about Adam. It's also talking about who? Eve. Now this was God's plan. Now watch. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have what? Dominion. So who was to have dominion over the earth and all the things that are in it? Adam and Eve. The word dominion means rulership to rule. Are you following that? So it was given equally to Adam and Eve. Now. This was God's intention. Obviously, Adam was the only guy. You know, he's the only person. Eve came later. So first, this was obviously applicable to Adam. And then, of course, it would become applicable to Eve once she came into the picture. But now watch this. In Genesis 2, and we're going to get a bonus lesson here. In Genesis 2, what does it say in verse 18? In Genesis 2 and verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be what alone now please don't lose that it is not good that man should be alone one moment all right it is not good that man should be alone and then it says i will make a what i'll make him a help meet all right i'll make him a help meet for him now bonus point alone is that a physical or an emotional condition that is a physical condition okay physical because some of you said both because maybe you're, you you might be confusing it with something else watch alone is a physical condition i am alone right it's like i there's nobody else here so i'm alone there's no way i could be in this room and say i am alone alone is a physical condition that's what the Bible says. It is not good that man should be alone. But sometimes we read into the verse and sometimes we take the word alone out and we put lonely in. And we think that the Bible is saying it's not good that man is lonely. Now, is loneliness, is that an emotional or is that a physical condition? That's emotional. I can be in a room filled with people and still feel lonely. Are you understanding that? That's an emotional condition. The Bible does not endorse getting married because you're feeling lonely. That's not a good reason to get married, not according to the blueprint. The blueprint never opened the door to say, oh, you're feeling lonely? Well, then go find a spouse. And then what happens is sometimes we, because watch this, especially for those of you who weren't here last week, you got to get to YouTube and watch the message because there was a very important point made last week. Last week, we talked about the three human needs that every person has. Every human being on planet Earth has at least three needs. What were the three needs? Let's see how good you are, class. Let's see who remembers. What were the three needs? Love was one. What was the second one? Significance is two. What's the third one? Security. Awesome. These are the three human needs. We all need to know that we're loved. We all need to know that we are secure and we all need to know that we are significant. Everybody needs that. Now, who is the chief person 
according to the word of God, to supply those needs. God. What is it that often happens in a marriage when we don't have proper, personal, intimate relation with God? We will put those three needs on a person called husband and wife. Can they fulfill it all the time? No, they cannot. So what ends up happening is when they don't fulfill it, ah, argument, fussing, fighting, anger, bitterness, resentment, adultery, divorce, and abuse, and the, risk goes, the, the, the rest goes on. God is saying, no, 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 that's not the plan. The plan was never to do that. And that can especially happen when you get married because you're lonely. Because loneliness should not exist in a child of God if we really understand what a friend we have in Jesus. If we really understand the friend we have in Jesus, we can miss people. Don't get me wrong. You have a husband or a wife who died. It's all right to miss them, of course. But we should not be overwhelmed with loneliness because we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Are you following? And so when the Bible says that Adam and Eve, the Bible makes it very clear. Adam was not lonely. He was alone. And God said it was not good. God said it's not good. He needs a help meet. He needs someone that is going to help him to meet the accomplishments of what I've set for him. Now, Genesis 3, let's go to verses 4 to 6. In Genesis 3, 4 to 6, and remember, when Eve came on the scene, they were co-ruling. Isn't that right? They were co-ruling together. They were ruling together. But now something happens in Genesis 3, 4 through 6. So here's what the Bible says. Eve is talking to a serpent. And the Bible says, and the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And she did eat. Now, I want you to watch this. After the woman did that, she falls into sin, and then now he falls into sin. Don't lose this. The woman was brought into the world to help her husband. Is that right? As a wife. Now, please, let me give another pause here. Ladies, I'm not talking in this study of what it means to be a woman. I'm talking in this study of what it means to be a wife. Amen. In other words, is there more to being a woman than just being a wife? Of course. So I'm not dealing with what it means to be a woman. I'm dealing with what the Bible says of what it means to be a wife. The wife came into the picture to help her husband meet whatever it is that God has set for his life. Now, watch in God establishing this relation. She was supposed to be a blessing and encouragement to him. But according to the story, she became a discouragement to him. Rather than helping him to do that which was right, she led him into doing that which was wrong. Are you following? So now a moment of judgment must come. So what does God do in verse 16 to the woman? God says in verse 16, we're talking about marriage roles. In verse 16, the Bible says unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrows and thy conception. In sorrow, thou shalt bring forth children. And then it says, and thy desire. 
your longing after. It says, thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. The Genesis 1.28 plan has now been broken. What were they supposed to do together in the beginning? Rule together. But as a result of Eve falling into sin and taking heed to this serpent and being instrumental in leading her husband into sin, God says, all right, I'm going to have to change it up now. God says, Eve, I am now going to have your husband rule over you. And you're going to be subject to your husband. So the next summary, when we're dealing with the roles, the leader of the home. The wife is to be subject to the husband's leadership. Now, let me help you understand the reason why you're not hearing a lot of those high pitch, often feminine sounding amens at this point. <laughs> the reason is because what almost immediately comes to mind is, so I guess you're promoting caveman, you know, arbitrary, you know, beat the woman over the head, such and such leadership. Is that what you're trying to say, preacher? And my answer is absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying at all. You see, again, what's the purpose of marriage? The purpose of marriage is that both the husband and wife will help each other know God and his relation to the church as no other method could help them understand it. So that means that somebody has to play the role of church and somebody has to play the role of God. And what God did is he said, Eve, because you were in the position where you were literally Eve exalted herself. In verse six of Genesis three, when the woman saw that the tree was good and a tree to be desirable to make one wise, she took of it and ate. She wanted a moment to exalt herself and she bought into the lie. So what did God do as a judgment? He says, therefore, as you try to exalt yourself, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to lower you. You are no longer equal to your husband in rulership. But with every curse, there's a blessing. That's why God told Adam, when God got to Adam in Genesis 3, God said to Adam, okay, thorns and thistles, now when you till that ground, it's going to be at the sweat of your brow. But God said, but there's a blessing in this for you. So it is with all of God's actions. There's a blessing in it. But this is the truth. Now, if you believe in something called women's lib, anything he can do, I can do too. In fact, anything he can do, I might be able to do it better. If we buy into this mindset, sisters, you're not only going to hurt your marriage, even worse, you're going to thwart the very picture that God was trying to give to humanity of his relation to the church. Because every marriage is called to be a picture of how God relates to his people. And therefore, God says the wife must be subject to the husband's leadership. Now, it is with this understanding, and of course, I'm not using sickness, sickness, disease. You know, if a husband gets sick, he's, he's disabled. He's not able to do certain things in leadership, but the wife is healthier and can do it. Of course, these are what we call exceptions. But I'm talking about the general rule of what God has established for the home. 
the husband, if you want a happy home, if you want a home after biblical order, ladies, we must accept the leadership role of the husband. And guess what? If your husband is not in a leadership role, then guess what you're to do? Help him meet that role. Don't take it over. Too many times sisters do this. In certain cultures, the women are more dominant than the men. The women are more takeover than the men. And this is why I, I, I have an answer to this culture question. Anytime somebody says, well, in our culture, the ladies do this. In our culture, women are more such as in leadership than da, da, da. I have a very simple answer for that. What is a culture? If we were to super simplify the word culture, what is a culture? Tradition. We can give it even a more simplified term than that. You know what a culture is? A way of life. That's what a culture is. It's a way of life. And then you got a lot of stuff in that music, dress, so on and so forth. But it's a way of life. Now, watch this. You know what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17? This is how I settle all culture questions. It doesn't matter. I've traveled the world and I'm telling you, the word of God can settle all cultural questions. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You know what that means? He's entered into a new culture. You want to know what that culture is called? Christianity. What is Christianity called? It's a way of life. Is that right? Christianity is a way of life. We don't, we don't have a Christian hat we take on and take off, do we? Are we to be just as much a Christian at home as we are at work? Are we to be just as much a Christian when we're out having recreation as we are when we're in the church? Of course, you don't you don't turn your you don't turn your Christian hat off. You don't turn the Christian light off and say, well, at church, I'm a Christian. I used to hear people say things like, "Ooh, you lied on the Sabbath. And I'm thinking to myself, OK, I'll wait till Sunday and then I'll tell a lie. Does that make any sense? Of course not. Christianity teaches we don't lie at any time, not even on April 1st. Amen. Amen. You don't say when I'm in church, we watch pure, holy things. But when I'm home, bring out all the cursing, swearing, nudity and gun violence we can find. Is that what we do? Well, let me rephrase that. Is that what we should do? Oh, yes. Christianity is a way of life. Are you following that? So Christianity is a culture in and of itself. So what the Bible is teaching is whatever was in your previous culture that conflicts with the Christian culture, it must be surrendered. You see how simple we solve the culture problem? If, if, if your culture does something that does not conflict with Christian culture, can we hold on to it? Yes. Praise God. And there's a lot to hold on to. But if anything in our cultural practice contradicts and conflicts with Christian culture, what does God say to do? Surrender it. And so even if you say, well, it's cultural for the women to take over, once you become Christians, that needs to be surrendered. That needs to be changed. Why? Because it mars the picture of the purpose of why God gave marriage. Do you know the more that we understand the purpose of marriage, this is why Christians could never, ever, really I say it, this is why Christians could never accept gay marriage. When we understand the purpose of marriage, 
to reflect God and his relation to the church. You can't have God marrying God and you can't have a church marrying a church. Are you following this family? It has to be God marrying the church. They have to be two completely different entities. And so what God is saying is, is when it comes to the roles, he says, this is what I've given to the women. Now, let's talk about the husband. Because sometimes in our hearts, we know that there are some men that are not doing too good. There are three things that God has called every husband. I put the word house band because that in truth is what a husband is. He is an individual that binds the house together in God. They bring the house together in unity in God. There are three things that God has called every husband or every house band to be is the head, the lawmaker and the priest in his home. These are the three things that God has called every husband to be. If we do not understand these lessons, you should not be in a courtship. These things must be understood first. Then you enter a courtship. A courtship is a deep rooted investigation to qualify the individual to be your wife or your husband. So that means that you should have a lot in place already. Before going to that person's parents and saying, I'd like to ask your daughter into a courtship and then the parents accept and then you walk in courtship and then eventually get married. There are three things that men must be. Head. Priest and lawmaker. Now, let's talk about this. All of these offices are reflections of Jesus Christ. Every single one of them. So let's notice what the Bible says. When you think of the head in Ephesians 5 and 25, the Bible says it very clearly. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So again, heads, husband, head of wife, Christ, head of church. Now, let's watch this, because what, what the problem is, is that there are many unconverted men. And I admit there's probably more unconverted than converted. There are many unconverted men that have taken the term headship and have abused it. They have turned it into something very ungodly and very ugly, something that God never intended. But what did God mean when he set the husband up as the head? Well, here's what it means. Number one, the close of the verse says, and he is the savior of the body. In other words, what God was trying to do in this verse is say, look, husbands, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And then he is the savior, that's Christ, of the body, the church. When you think of a savior of a body, you don't think of somebody who arbitrarily rules, but you think of someone who self-sacrificially protects. You know, it's funny, sisters, I just heard you. Isn't that something? When I listen, when I was at this slide, hold up. When I was at this slide, I did not hear a single female voice in this room say, amen, amen. I didn't hear a single voice. But when I got here, <laughs> when I got to that point, <laughs> gentlemen, did you hear all the amens from the sisters? Bless your heart. You see, sisters, I had your back all along. I was with you because God's with you. God doesn't support any man that's going to try to come in with a club in his hand and say, it's my way or the highway. You know, no man should rule his home like that. No man should say, woman, you have no voice. You have no opinion. Do as I say. 
and don't ask any questions, else judgment will come. God help us if such a man were to be in a home. But God is making it very clear. God says, no, no, no. The head is a protector. And that protector protects self-sacrificially. That protector understands that. You see, that word, the, the headship of the husband consists in his ability and responsibility to do what? Care for his wife in the same way that Christ cares for the church. This is what biblical headship means. The husband is chief protector. The husband is the one. I remember one gentleman not long ago who said, the way I understand being a man and, and being the head is, you know, if somebody comes in a room to kill, some, kill the family, he's the first one to get killed. And, you know, it sounded a little daunting the way he was explaining it. But in truth, it's the truth. It is the one that is self-sacrificial. It is the one that protects at all costs, even if it means the loss of his own life so that their lives may continue. He is a protector. But guess what? Husbands don't just protect the physical being of their wives. Husbands are called to protect the emotional stability of their wives. And so it is. That's why the Bible says to all husbands, it says in 1 Peter 3, 7, ye husbands dwell with them. That's your wives. Dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Give what? Honor unto the wife as unto the what? Weaker vessel. You see, many a times, ladies, I understand you don't, you, you know, sometimes we say, who are you calling weak? It's like, you know, we, we don't like weak. What do you mean by weak? I'm not weak. And then, of course, women begin to, you know, sometimes they get a little flustered by it. But listen, God is saying, ladies, you stand in the position of the church. Your husband stands in the position of God. God is called to be the chief servant, the chief protector, etc. Now, ladies, if, if you're waking up in the middle of the night, because, you know, I, I always say, that, don't assert yourself too strong. Who are you calling weak? I'm strong. It's like, so if you heard an intruder in your house, how would you look at your husband if he said, honey, go check it out. Go see what's going on. <laughs> find out who it is. Take the bat. Take the knife or whatever. Go find out who it is. Almost every sensible woman would say, excuse me, get up. Get down there and go find out who that is. Right? La ladies, can I hear another amen? Yeah. Uh-huh. So this is what I'm saying. So you understand that in certain contexts, you are the weaker vessel. Your husband is supposed to be that strong man. Your husband is supposed to be in that position of the protector. So don't hate on it, but accept the whole truth on it. Don't accept the truth on it when it's convenient. Accept the whole truth on it. The husband, we are called to treat our wives, understanding they are the weaker vessel when it comes to certain things, and that's why we as husbands must avail ourselves to protect, to guard, to care for, to nurture, and to do all that we can to make sure that they are well-preserved. Now, ladies, why wouldn't you want to submit to a man like that? Why wouldn't you want to submit? Because that's what Jesus is to the church. Jesus is the protector. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the lover. He's all of those things that helps that woman feel secure. So therefore, when Jesus gives a command to that wife and says to do thus and so, it should be the church's privilege to bow in submission and say, not my will, your will be done. Now watch this. We know that the Bible says about Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. This is what God calls for every husband. 
is that when we identify weaknesses in our wives, let us move with compassion, with a true care, with a true concern. Headship is not merely just saying, this is the way it goes, follow it. That is a small part of headship. The larger part of headship is constantly observing and studying your bride and doing all that you can to make sure that you protect her emotionally, physically, mentally, financially, and the rest. And this is why I say to all husbands, it is a very solemn thing, thing to be a husband. husband. It, it is, is a solemn thing. It is a high calling that God has placed upon us. And God takes this very, very seriously. So every husband is called to be the head of his home. But not only that, he is also called to be the lawmaker. Now, you remember that in Isaiah 33 and verse 22, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, and he will save us. A world, a business, a church without law is a place of chaos. Listen carefully what I'm saying, family. A world, a business, a church, anything, uh, any place without law is a place of chaos. You have to have law. You have to have limitations. You have to put some things up there that says, thus far, no further. So what does God say about the husbands? Genesis 18 and verse 19, talking about Abraham. He says, for I know him, that he will do what? Command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So notice that every man is called to be a lawmaker in his home. We are to set boundaries. We are to set limits. Obviously, our home should be a place where the law of God dwells. Our home is a home of no adultery. Our home is a home of no killing. Our home is a home of no stealing or lying. Our home is certainly a home where we don't take God's name in vain and we don't watch television programs that do that. Husbands, you're called to step it up. You must get into a place that you say there are laws that have to govern our home. Thus far, no further. Limitations. Why do you give those laws? For part of the protection of your home. Not so you can say, I've been a wimp all my life, so now I'm married, now I'm going to finally have somebody I'm going to rule over. No, 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 that's not the attitude. The attitude is, is that when I create laws in my home, I am doing this for the protection of my wife. I'm doing this for the protection of my children. So when we watch a televised program and some things that are lawless comes on that screen, that is for us to say, children, dear, um, listen, I'm not sure why this was playing, but I just want us to know that if we're going to honor God in this home, we cannot entertain ourselves with this type of entertainment. And that is when the wife may say, oh, honey, but it's just a, a funny movie. Honey, we want Jesus' presence to be with us. Remember, Mary and Joseph took their eyes off of Jesus for a moment, and it took three days to find him. We can't take our eyes off of Jesus for a moment in this home. It might take us a long time to get reconnected. So it's only because I'm trying to submit unto God that I'm saying that we can't let this play any further in our home. What is the wife supposed to do? Not my will. God's will be done. And that husband is a representative of God. Any home without law is a home of chaos. Any home without law, family, is a place of chaos. We must have law. And the husband has been assigned by God as the lawgiver in that home. He's also the priest.
What do priests do? In Hebrews 5, verse 1, the Bible says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So what is it that a priest does? They offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. What is it that Jesus, our high priest, does? Hebrews 7, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession. For the people. So notice that Jesus is a priest. And what is he doing? He's constantly making intercession. What about on earth? Then it says, Job. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them. This is Job's children. It says, and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Job did not forget a single one of his children. And then it says, for Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job how often? Continually. Husbands, you are called to be the priest. When you get up in that morning, you are calling wife, you're calling children together, and we are calling our family together to offer the morning sacrifice of family worship. Every home should be a Bethel. Every home, husbands. If we can get up early for work, you better get up early for your family. You got to get up early if you have to and say, family, let's go together. Years ago, when I lived in New York, my dear friend Lemuel, I remember I stayed by his house and I'm a friend. Oh, and Sister Tater. Now, please understand, her husband was dead. So she's the leader of her home. Her husband died, right? So we're talking about exceptions. Do you know I'm a young guy? I'm in the church, but I'm young. I'm like 21, 22. And I remember being inside their home. And we're hanging out and I'm hanging out with Lemuel and I'm hanging out with Lemuel. And me and him are hanging out and talking all night. We're like, yeah, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we're just hanging out and talking about all sorts of stuff. So finally, two, three in the morning, we go to sleep. Why is it that I'm feeling somebody nudging me early in the morning, like five something in the morning? And somebody's nudging me and it's Sister Tater. That was Lemuel's mother. She says, listen, get up. We got to get up and have worship. Lemuel's like, oh, ma. And I'm kind of like, what's going on? You know, because I didn't grow up in a home like this. So his, I'm just like, what, what, what are we doing? And he's just like, we got to go have worship, man. I was like, we got to worship? I was like, bro, I'm tired. He was like, you don't want to tell my mother no. So I was just like, all right, fine. So we're getting up there, yawning and tired. She's in her nurse's garment, and she's like, all right, everyone, get your hymnals out. Let's start singing. And we're like, nah, nah, nah. I mean, we're yawning and everything, but she did. She had she made sure before I leave this home. My family and I are going to have worship. And I, I, that left an indelible impression on my mind because I'm not a married man or anything yet. But I was like, wow, she gets up early and she has the family come together for family worship. She was functioning as a priest because there was no priest in her home. But husbands, you are called to be that priest. So there's no way in the world that you can get up early for your J-O-B and not get up early for your family. God says we must get up early, we must gather the family, and we must make sure that we bring them before God and have our morning and our evening worship. Amen. We are the priests of the home. We are the intercessors when everybody falls short. This is what God has called us to do. When it comes to the queen of the household, the wife, 
The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Wow. It continues, Ephesians 5, 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in how much? What do you say to that, brothers? Do you say amen? They're scared to say amen. <laughs> like, I know who's sitting next to me. I'm not saying amen too loud. Listen. Wives, it is actually a command from God that you are to be subject to your husbands and everything. I mean, it's about as clear as the verse can get. Now, again, what that does not mean is it, you see, let me give it to you this way. In Colossians 3 and verse 18, it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. So what does that mean? As it is fit in the Lord. Here's what it means. The word fit means proper or convenient. In other words, always remember, ladies, you ought to obey God rather than men. You, you should never obey your husband if he's calling you to do something that violates the word of God and violates your conscience. So when the Bible says that the wife is to submit unto the husband in everything that is not sin and does not violate her conscience. But there might be some times you strongly disagree with your man. There might be some times that you say, honey, I don't agree. And that husband may say, listen, but according to the word of God, this is where I see that God wants us to go. This is what God wants us to do. They're bringing the word of God. They are saturating the decision in prayer. They are doing the things that should have earned your trust. My husband is a consecrated man. He puts God first, last and best in his life. He wants to honor God and he has shown himself to be a protector to me as his wife. I know my husband will not steer us wrong. Lord, I trust you through the leadership of my husband. Though I don't agree with it myself, I am going to submit. This is what God calls for the sisters. And it's his way. And a home that operates like this gives a proper picture of what heaven is to be. And somebody, of course, says, what if my husband is going the wrong way? Well, I just told you, you ought to obey God rather than men. That is a moment where even as a child, you shouldn't obey your parents if your parents are telling you to sin. The story of one time where a person called to home and the person called and said, hey, is your dad home? And the child was stuck because the child saw that the father didn't want to talk to the person. So the child put the person on hold and the child said, daddy, what do you want me to say? The father said, Tell him I'm not home. And the child had a dilemma. The child said, hmm, the Bible says that we are to not lie. But then the Bible also says, honor your father and your mother. So that child was in a terrible dilemma. But you know what the Holy Spirit did? The Holy Spirit gave that child wisdom. You know, that's one of the gifts of the Spirit is wisdom. You know what the child did? The child said, ah, I know what to do. The child got back on the phone and said, sir, yes. My father told me to tell you that he's not home. <laughs> See that? In other words, you never, ever sin even to obey your parents. 
the same way you should never ever sin even to submit yourself to your husband. So what God is never endorsing is that you sin in order to please your husband. But there might be some women in this room that you are very dogmatic. You are very in control. You control things in your home and your husband submits to you. What God is saying is, is that if there's anybody like that in this room, the Lord is calling for a reform in your home. He's calling for you to let your husband be the leader that he has called him to be. And you be that representation of the church he's called you to be. And in doing this, something wonderful will happen. You see, the summary is this. A book that I love to read, which is a book called Adventist Home. And it gives lots of heavenly counsel along these lines. We're wrapping up. Here's what it says. God made from the man a woman to be a companion and help meet for him, to be one with him, to cheer, encourage, and bless him. Ladies, this is what God is calling you to be to your husband. This is, this is the help meet, okay? This is the help meet. But then what does God say to the husband? He says, you in turn are to be her strong helper. We are to cultivate a mindset that says that I am often going to look at how can I help her when she's in a perplexity. It doesn't matter if she's going through a mental perplexity, an emotional perplexity, a physical perplexity, a financial perplexity, whatever it may be, that husband steps in as that protector. He comes in as that savior. He does whatever he can to help ease those burdens and put her in a better place that she may honor God in the way that God has called her for her life work. Continuing, it says all who enter into matrimonial relations with a holy purpose. So remember, purpose of marriage, holiness. Remember that. It then says the husband, gentlemen, this is our job. It says to obtain the pure affection of a woman's heart. That is our mission. We might be in a marriage, but maybe we don't have the affections of our wife's heart. And if we don't, God says, work to obtain it. Then it says to the sisters, the wife, oh my, I like this part, the wife to soften and improve her husband's character and give it completeness fulfill God's purpose for them. This is our work. This is the great purpose of why God gave marriage. And when we allow our homes to function in this pattern, for those who are single, when you are considering the one to be your spouse, this is what God says he wants you to really study out carefully and prayerfully and to make it a priority. Finally, don't forget the prophetic connection to all of this. You see, in the beginning, the prophetic connection, the Bible is very clear. In the beginning, the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That serpent misrepresented the character of God, didn't he? He misrepresented the character of God. God does know. He presented God like he's trying to hold back something from them. He presented God like he was being unfair and unjust. And so you know what happened next? This is how sin came in our world. But do you know how sin's going to leave our world? The Bible says in Revelation 18 in verse 1, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And that glory is the revelation of God's character. 
the last gospel work to be done in our world, brothers and sisters, is the character of God is going to saturate the land. God is going to light up the earth with his glory, his character, and he's going to do that through you and I. And so the question is, where has God stationed for us to best learn about his character? Marriage. Marriage is something for our children to behold that they can say, I see Jesus between mommy and daddy and I want a home just like that. There will be single people that will glorify God in the last days. There will be widows and widowers that will glorify God in the last days. But all of us come from a home. All of us come from a home. And God wants these lessons to be learned. And so I am asking this question in my closing. Brothers and sisters, a lot of marriages are not functioning like this principle that we've studied today. A lot of marriages are not on this page. And I am not here to try to get you to stand up and identify how broken your marriage is. That's not my that's not my purpose. I believe Jesus's words. All my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so my prayer for each and every one of us today is simply that if you've heard the voice of God and if you are willing to simply say, by the grace of God, his blueprint for marriage will be the blueprint either for my marriage or for the marriage that one day I shall set up. I don't know what plans we may be on now, but I know that this is God's blueprint. And if we are willing to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, I will follow your blueprint. Then I want to ask you to please stand to your feet with me. And as you stand to your feet, I want you to know that Jesus stands with you. He will help you. He's going to work with us. He's going to encourage us. He's going to build us up and he's going to strengthen us that his will shall be done. And brothers and sisters, again, please understand, give each other a chance. Work with each other. I understand some of the men in this room. Maybe you've never been a strong leader. Maybe you just haven't. Maybe your wife did a total takeover and it's going to take some time. But ladies, if your husband is trying to be better at being a priest, a lawmaker or the head, please do not discourage him. Do not let words like, oh, now you're trying. Oh, now you want to do all of this. Oh, because the preacher said it. Family, that's just completely discouraging. If somebody hears the word of God and they're saying, I want to do the word of God. Don't say, oh, now you want to do that. Just say, you know what? Praise God, honey. How can I be of a help? And I'm serious because I know I know Satan. I used to walk with him and hang out with him a lot. He does stuff like this. He will put that in somebody's mind. Oh, no, don't you think that after this sermon now you're just going to try to start ruling the home. I'm the ruler and ain't nobody changing it. It's like God help us if we have that attitude. We must be willing to submit to the voice of Jesus. And I believe that it was the voice of God that spoke to us today. It's his plan that he has presented. So if everybody's trying let us not beat each other up and start discouraging each other and all these things let us say lord give me wisdom to know how to encourage my husband to be that priest lawmaker and head that you've called him to be lord help me to help my wife by me obeying your word especially to the husbands that i will help my wife to be more of that submissive church by giving her a better reason to be that because i will be more loving and more caring and i will demonstrate more care I believe, family, if we make these covenants, we can have happier, holier and healthier homes. And that is a beautiful witness. And that's the kind of home to even bring orphans into, let alone others, is to let them see what heaven looks like for real. Let us pray together. Loving Father, 
We thank you so much for these words, Lord. I thank you so much by your grace that you have helped us to study and to get a picture of the biblical principles of marriage. Father, I pray that as you are preparing a people in these last days to light up the earth with your glory, I pray, Father, that we will participate in what you have taught us today in our homes, in our marriages, and that by your grace, we will learn of you and then make you known to a dying world. Bless and keep us to this end, we pray, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.